9, Isaiah chapter 9, I'll give you our text verse in just a minute. I don't think anybody here would argue with me if I said we live in a troubled world and it's hard to shake the feeling that we need to keep talking about it. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, every day I think about that. And in fact, the other day I thought about starting a new a new item to post like on Facebook and to send out by way of email like morning manna and just call it horrible headlines. And, uh, and, and it's really amazing because each day there there is a list of horrible, terrible headlines and things that, you know, that are of extremely great importance to our welfare here in America. And, you know, and we could just talk about that all of the time. And I think that's especially true of preachers. We feel even more prone to, you know, I've got to address this and I've got to address that. And after a while, we develop kind of a fix-it mentality. You know, this this, this is wrong, we've got to fix it. Uh, uh, whether we're talking politics or the economy or whatever it is. And so we some way uh, feel impressed to comment on Everything that we can find that's wrong. The problem is we start focusing on the fruit of the problem instead of getting to the root of the problem. And we give more thought to the problem than we do to the solution. And that never does anybody any good. You know, we wonder then, well, why is it things aren't changing for the better? Now... Certainly, as you know, I believe that we ought to we ought to expose and we ought to condemn sin and uh, and be bold about it. But we should always do that with the cure in view, not just for the sake of trying to point out all of the ills of the world and uh, rant and to rave about how horrible the world is. Uh, because we need to talk more about the cure, the solution to the problem. And we'd do well if we took a lesson from the Old Testament prophets, because here in the Old Testament we find some of the most wonderful prophecies of Christ to be found anywhere, and they're found in conjunction with stern warnings that God had given to the nation of Israel. So on one hand, he says, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to slap your ears down, send you off into captivity. I, you're going to suffer horrible punishment, da, da, da. And, and, you know, and then maybe the very next verse, but, but there's coming a day when, you know, I'm going to send the Messiah and he's going to rule and reign and peace flow like a river and everything's going to be all right. And so, even as they rebuked the nation of Israel, they always gave them what eventually would be the solution to the problem. I think one of the greatest examples of what I'm talking about is here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. And we're going to read the entire verse and then comment on just three words It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. We preached on that just a few weeks ago. 
His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And tonight, I, I, I want to just, you know, in this rich gold mine of truth, just look at one little nugget out of all of this, and that's, that's this. Notice he says, the mighty God. The mighty God. The word mighty means a mighty warrior. It means a hero. That's exactly the meaning of the word, a hero. It's talking about and associated with warfare. Someone who does battle against an enemy, someone who is strong, someone who is accomplished, someone who is able. And so he uses this word that means all of that and more to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God. I think all of us would admit that we probably worry about our needs more than, you know, about anything else. And it amazes me that people are so worried about their needs and then they totally neglect the very one, the only one who can supply all of those needs. I mean, you know, how crazy is that? It's so amazing that our government, for example, has really no concern with God whatsoever. And by that, I'm not talking about only the federal government, but the state government, local government, and so forth. But all of a sudden, whenever a disaster strikes, all of a sudden, you know, there's a drought and the crops are dying and the economy is suffering and uh, maybe the governor calls for a day of prayer. It seems, you know, a bit hypocritical that we ignore God all of this time until suddenly a crisis comes. That is foolish. But it would be even more foolish for us to not go to God in prayer in our time of need. The point is, we need to keep our focus on God. That, however, seems to be more difficult day by day because uh, we've got all of these distractions, things that are of of great importance, and not only to you and I, but things that are important to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, because they're going to be affected by decisions that are being made, you know, at this very moment. And so that concerns us, but we can get overly concerned with things like that to the point that we are distracted from the work at hand and the main thing. And so we need to keep our focus on the mighty God, and that doesn't happen by accident. In other words, we've got to take certain measures, and one of the best things we can do, of course, is to worship God. And that's exactly what God intended. You know, we think about Sunday, the first day of the week, that being the time that we start our week out by worshiping God. That helps us keep our focus on God. And then we have His Word that we ought to feed on every single day of our life. And if we're going to keep our focus on God, we've got to take these steps in order to do so. Now, I want to mention just two things. Number one, I want to talk about our many needs. Just some examples I want to throw out there. And then I want to talk about our many needs in the context of our mighty God. 
and and the whole purpose of this is is hopefully that when you leave here tonight, you'll leave here having been reminded that regardless of how many and mighty your needs are, you have a God that is even greater than all of those needs. Think about the many needs that we have. First of all, there's the matter of transgression, sin. took me a long time to realize that that was a genuine need in my life. You know, I, I thought about all of the other needs I had, you know, the... Uh, the need for food and so forth, and uh, I, I understood all of that. And I understood that my life wasn't exactly, you know, what it ought to be. I wanted it to be different. I, I knew surely that the person ought to live better than what I was living, and, and I understood that, but I had no idea as to the nature of my need and that the root of the matter was the problem of sin, And all of us, by nature, have a problem with our transgressions that need to be pardoned. And that's our first need. That's our greatest need. It is at the top of every person's list. So if you sat down tonight and uh, took a pencil and a piece of paper and just started listing all of your needs right there at the top of the list, you've got to deal with the sin issue that is in your life. And only a mighty God can save a sinner. Only a mighty God can do that. And whenever we think about the demonstration of God's power, we look up into the heavens at night and we see, you know, the the stars. And during the day we see the sun and we recognize the handiwork of God and all of that. But I'm telling you, the conversion of one sinner demonstrates God's power, I think, more than all of creation. To think about the fact that God could forgive us of our transgressions, restore us to fellowship with Himself. And that is the only way it can happen is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes a mighty God for us to deal with our transgressions. But then there's not just the matter of our transgressions, there's the matter of our temptations. Because even after we've dealt with our transgressions, even after we've trusted Christ as our Savior, there's still this matter of temptations. You know, usually a new Christian has a lot of misconceptions uh, about Christ. And simply because they haven't studied the Bible, they're not familiar with the great doctrines of the Bible, they really don't know what to expect. And that's kind of the way it was when I entered into the Christian life. I didn't know what to expect. I, You know, I knew I was lost. I needed to be saved. I trusted Christ as my Savior. I had no doubt in my mind but what God had forgiven me and that God was going to save me. But I'm telling you, after that, it was all a mystery. There was a part of me that thought, okay... The next time I drive by the bar that I was uh, at so much of the time, there won't be any problem because I'm a Christian now. I'll just fly by, no temptation. And lo and behold, uh, uh, as I started down Sunshine Street there, you know, in Springfield, Missouri, uh, all, all of a sudden I began to realize that that, that place still had a drawing power because uh, because I had acquired a taste for alcohol. Uh, 
And there was that temptation that was still there. Now, alcohol might never be tempting to some of you. I hope that it never is. But all of us are tempted in some way or another. In other words, it is an issue that every single one of us has to deal with. For some people, you know, it might be alcohol. For somebody else, it might be the matter of pride. For somebody else, it might be a thousand and one different things. But the point is, none of us can conquer our temptations successfully without the help of a mighty God. We've got to live every single day of our life dependent upon Him because of these temptations. Not just temptations, but there are traps. The Bible says that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. I mean, Satan has devices in the sense that he has planned and and used his strategy in every way to put traps in our pathway. And there's so many times they seem really innocent. I I'm, I'm was talking to someone this morning about the fact that shortly after I surrendered to preach, within a matter of a few weeks, I had a job offer in Jackson, Mississippi, a job offer that would have paid far more than what I was making. I mean, it was just a, an absolute dream. And I'll never forget... They flew me down there, had the interview. I could have had the job. I come back, you know, and I'm talking to uh, to my pastor and uh, and telling him about it. I was excited about it, and uh, he started asking questions like, "Is there a Baptist church anywhere close around there?" I said, "Well, I, you know, I don't I don't know about that. Why?" He said, well, you know, you've just recently were saved and you surrendered to preach and, you know, it ought to be important to you to find out if there's a Baptist church there. I said, well, I don't know, but I'll find out. And I said, uh, uh, I said, you know, if there's not, I could start one there, couldn't I? You know, like, what an idiot. I, I didn't, I, I, there's no way I would have started a church there. I mean, my land, uh, uh, but anyway, he looked at me and he said, I'm going to pray you don't take that job. And and I'm being honest, it offended me. It really did. I love my pastor with all of my heart, but it offended me because I thought, you know, why would you do something like that? This is the real break that I've been looking for, you know. This is going to be wonderful and da-da-da. He said, I, I'm just praying you don't take it. And I began to realize and God began to show me that my pastor was a lot wiser than I was, and I didn't take that job. And I thank God that I didn't because I began to realize that was nothing more than a trap that Satan was setting before me. And folks, I'm telling you that Satan has such deceptive power that you and I must depend on a mighty God to keep us from falling into those traps in addition to the temptation, in addition to the traps that are set for us, there are the trials that we have to uh, go through because God permits these trials to come into our life. You know, sometimes we think about the fact that after I'm saved and I've confessed my sin and God's forgiven me of my sin, everything's all right between me and God now, and so life ought to be easy. And then all of a sudden we're surprised when we find out, you know, it's really not. You know, it's difficult. In fact, the Lord warned all of His disciples that it was going to be difficult. 
He told them, you're going to be hated and you're going to be despised. Some of you are going to be killed for my sake. And, and so we can expect there to be trials in our life. And and listen, we never have any right to complain because I don't know any of us that have been nailed to a cross like Jesus was. Amen? I mean, we all have it better than He did in that sense. We all suffer less than what He did. And as a result of that, you know, we ought not to complain. Those that deserve nothing ought to be thankful for everything. But there are these trials and and, and, and I'm telling you, these trials, whatever they might be, can be extremely difficult for us. You know, some, I think, have misunderstood the verse where Paul is saying, you know, he's talking about the fact that God will not put more on you than what you're able to bear. You know, and, and so I've heard people quote that and use that to say, God will never allow you to be tempted above what you're able to. He'll never put more on you than you're able to bear. And, and, and I want you to know I don't agree with that. Now, God will never put more on you than you're able to bear if, if you love Him with all of your heart and obey Him with everything that is within you. If you trust Him, God will put more on you than you're able to bear. He'll let it happen, in other words. It will crush you beneath the load. And you'll never be able to bear up under it. And it's only whenever in our trials, remember He talked about the trying of our faith, God allows us to be put to the test. We don't know if our faith is real sometimes, you know, unless it's put to the test. And God allows that to happen. And whenever that happens, we need a mighty God to get us through it. Then there are tribulations that are painful. There's troubles that are perplexing because when these things begin to happen, we begin to wonder why. We don't understand it. We feel like Job. And we don't understand, why would God let this happen to me? And why now? And there's no possible way that you and I can understand it. And that's whenever we need to depend on God. Whenever we think about what's going on in the world today and terrorism, just think about that word for a little while. You know, when we think about terrorism, the whole idea of the terrorist is to strike fear into our heart, to disrupt our manner of life to where we no longer enjoy the American dream. You know, the idea is not to kill everybody in America, although, you know, that wouldn't bother them, but the idea is just to make us miserable even in our prosperity. And, and, and that, that's exactly what's happened with a lot of people. You can't go to the you can't go to the Super Bowl. You're worried about a terrorist blowing the place up. You see, and they want you to live with that in your mind every single day. And whenever we do, whenever we cave in to that pressure, all of a sudden we see that they have accomplished what they set out to do, and that is to make us miserable. And and you say, yeah, but I mean, you know, something something bad really might happen. Well, yeah, something bad might happen. But us sitting around worrying about it, stewing over it, is not going to change the fact. And uh, we think about 
and talk about and sing about, you know, God being the, uh, the creator and the controller of all of the world. And then we turn around in a state of panic and act like God is sick or dead and that everything's out of control. And here we are worrying ourselves sick over things that God has in His control. So we have many and mighty difficulties in our life, but we have a mighty God. And those that have a personal relationship with Him have been given exceeding great and precious promises. That's what Peter said. Exceeding great and precious promises. And those are given to assure us of His help in a time of trouble. Turn over just a moment to Isaiah chapter number 41. And here in chapter number 41, notice the very first verse where he says, Keep silence before me, O islands. Now notice, and let the people renew their strength. We talked about that this morning, did we not? Let the people renew their strength. Let them, now here's the key, let them come near and let them speak and let us come near together to judgment now go back to verse 29 of chapter 40 and the key to all of this is us drawing near to God because in the face of all of our many problems we need a mighty God and we draw near to him notice and he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now look at verse 10 of chapter 41. Just across the page. Fear thou not. Fear thou not. Boy, we look around and we think, you know, my, how in the world are we supposed to live without being fearful? Well, for one thing, the Bible commands us to fear not. But notice, here's why. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will. That's emphatic, folks. I will. He doesn't say, I might, but I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, we could talk for an, for an hour and go into detail about all of that. Now, I want to just wrap things up by giving you three thoughts Three examples of the reward that is available to those that are willing to trust in this mighty God that Isaiah speaks about. First of all, a consciousness, a consciousness of, of Him and His blessings procures peace and hope for us. You know, it's real easy to lose hope when the bottom falls out and whenever the roof caves in and everything's going wrong and, uh, and all of a sudden we lose all hope. And you'll notice in these verses that I just read that the whole idea that Isaiah has here is to inspire hope in those people. 
Remember, these are a people that have been chastised because of their sins. They have suffered horribly as a result, you know. And he wants them to understand, yet there is hope that God is here to give you hope. And not only that, but also whenever we think about these exceeding great and precious promises, the reward that we have whenever we trust in this mighty God, there is confidence confidence in Him that He'll provide what He promised. You know, you and I make promises a lot of times and we mean well and we're being honest. But the fact of the matter is we don't have the power to carry out the promise after it's made. We didn't intend to lie. It wasn't our purpose to deceive someone. We just found ourselves in a situation that now we've committed ourselves to a course of action we, we've done something that inspired hope in somebody's heart that, you know, that we, we'd be there to help them. And uh, all of a sudden we find that we can't do what we, what we want to do. But God, God's never in that position. I, I like what A.W. Pink wrote several years ago. He said, we cannot have a right concept of God unless we think of Him as, an, as all-powerful as well as all-wise. He who cannot do what he will and perform all of his pleasure cannot be God. As God has a will to resolve what he deems good, so has he power to execute his will. Listen, if you don't see the importance of that statement, you've got a serious problem. To not be able to see how serious it is that when we think about God and our relationship with Him, that God cannot be God unless He has the power to carry out His will. That's why God can't make any vain promises to us. Whenever God threatens us with chastisement or whatever, it's going to happen. And whenever we put our trust in Him... All of a sudden, we receive the help that we so desperately need. And there in Hebrews chapter 11, where again and again and again, he mentions those men and the women, those that who by faith they did this and they did that and they did the other. By faith, they endured horrible suffering and what have you. And and it was all by their faith in him. And it's in the putting our faith in Him, that we receive the strength that we need, the help and the hope that we need. And and then when we do this, not only do we have a new hope, not only do we have an increased uh, strength and receive the help we need, but all of a sudden there's happiness that that flows out of this. You, you, You see, we're not happy. We're not able to enjoy things whenever... Our relationship with God is deteriorating. In Proverbs chapter number 16 and several years ago, each year we started off the new year with a particular verse of Scripture, and that was the, you know, the text verse for that year, and everybody memorized it. I don't know why we don't do that anymore, but, but one year it happened to be Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 20. And I want to mention that tonight. It says, He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. 
Let me tell you, in life there are a lot of different situations that we have to handle, a lot of things that we have to deal with. And if we don't do it wisely, we're not going to find good. But notice, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. I, you know, I don't think anything brings greater happiness to us than knowing who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. To just sit and think about that. And, and j- just the other day, and I've done this before, but just the other day I sat down and took my pad of paper and my pencil and I, I just began to write two, two columns, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. And you just start making a list under each one of those headings. And it is absolutely amazing. And it makes us to realize that we have so much to be happy about whenever we understand that. And I think about that old song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And whenever I look at our text tonight here where it speaks about this mighty God... It uh, inspires hope, regardless of how bad things are in the world. I have hope because He never changes. Now, whenever we think about the greatness of this mighty God, the thing that naturally comes to mind, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God being who He is? Well, number one, we need to turn to Him. That's what he says there in verse 1 of chapter number 41. We need to turn to God. It's so amazing that we turn to everything else under the sun except God. We try this and we try that, and nothing brings satisfaction until we turn to God. Then we need to trust Him. It's one thing to turn to God, that is to acknowledge that God is the answer to our many needs, but it's another thing to actually trust Him. And having done that, we need then to bear testimony of Him to others. Tell others about Him. Because, listen, whenever you think about what God means to you and what God has done for you, believe me, there are people that you know that need to know that. Because they're, they're living in a quandary and with a, you know, in some dilemma. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They just feel absolutely overwhelmed by all of their problems. It might be someone that you know is facing health issues or domestic issues. It might be someone's on the verge of bankruptcy or whatever it is, but they need hope. They need to understand that help is possible, but that Help is possible only in the Lord. And as I said, I think this morning, don't ever underestimate the power of your testimony where you share with others what God has done for you. The mighty God who is able to do all of this. An old Puritan by the name of Stephen Carnock back in 1650, somewhere around there, wrote some words that I want to leave with you tonight. He said, The power of God is that ability and strength whereby He can bring to pass whatever He pleases, whatever His infinite wisdom may direct, and whatever the infinite purity of His will may resolve, as holiness is the beauty 
to all of God's attributes. So power is that which gives life and action to all of the perfections of His divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. Without power, His mercy would be but feeble pity. His promises, an empty sound. His threatenings, a mere scarecrow. God's power is like Himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked restrained nor frustrated by the creature. Aren't you glad that this almighty, all-powerful God is your heavenly Father? Amen. And that you can rely upon Him for every need you encounter, not only today, but tomorrow and throughout this new year that's before you. And I hope you'll take great joy in, in that glorious fact. And just remember, whatever you're facing, the mighty God is right there with you to help you. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you for the encouragement that your word brings to our heart. Lord, were it not for the faith that is created by, by your word in our heart, no doubt all of us would be given over to despair. And we're so thankful that because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that even whenever it seems like that we can't go on, even whenever it seems like that all is in vain, we know that He is at work in our heart and all of a sudden creating an attitude of hope and all of a sudden giving us strength that we never never knew we had before and raising us up out of the pit of depression, and all of a sudden inspiring us to go on in spite of all of the difficulties of life. And Lord, may we live each and every day in light of these glorious facts that You are indeed a mighty God that You're able to do exceeding abundant above all that we could ever ask or above what we could even think. Our mind cannot even begin to imagine how great, how powerful You are. May we live in the light of that fact each and every day throughout this new year. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for all that You've done. And we thank You, Lord, for what You're going to do in the future. We look forward to that day that we can look back and thank You for answered prayer, for glorious deliverance, for blessings that that we certainly don't deserve. So bless us now tonight and each family represented here in Jesus' dear name.